Welcome to Do You Have Scripture for That? This is your host, Clay Garrison. In this episode, I'm going to think through the authorship of Scripture. And so if um, if you haven't thought much about this, this might be a confusing concept because on the one hand, uh, most Christians, well, if you claim to be a Christian, then you will affirm that the Bible is God's Word. And so in one sense, you're affirming that all of Scripture has one author that that God is the author of scripture but then on another level if you've you know studied individual books of the bible then you know you clearly see in passages or or in in letters such as Ephesians and Romans or 1 Peter 2 Peter all of these letters uh it's very clear in the letters you know you you have an individual author that has penned um that book of the bible so you have tons of individual authors of books of the bible and so how do you reconcile these two things? How do you think through those things? How can this be the word of God if it came from the, the pen and the mouths of men? And so that's that's part of what we're going to talk about today. And you know we're going to discuss several topics such as inspiration, sovereignty, freedom, and uh, we, we'll even touch a little bit of philosophy. So don't let that scare you. It's not really a, a big deal, but uh, you know, we're going to talk about that just a little bit. So there's the, just to set the stage, the concept behind what we're talking about is that we have many books in the Bible, but it creates one book. We have many authors that have written those individual books, but yet there's one author. So so what are we getting at? So as the title of the podcast suggests, um, we are going to have scripture for this. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me or if you're using your phone, um, I'm actually using my phone right now, so no shame there. But if you have your have your Bible with you, we're going to look at 2 Peter 1.21. Now, obviously this verse is, you know, I'm, I'm pulling it and using it. It has its own context, but uh, the meaning that we're going to draw is, is based on its context, but we don't really have the time here to go into all that. Uh, but first or second Peter chapter one, verse 21 says this for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so here we see this idea of prophecy as, as being a word from the Lord. It was never produced by the will of man. It never originated in their will. We see we see that these men they they spoke from God under the direction of the Holy Spirit. You know, if we just look at that verse, we see this idea of, of them being carried along by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit leading them as they as they prophesied, as they spoke the word of God, and as they wrote down the word of God uh, and recorded it, uh, much like Moses. You know, Moses was considered a prophet, and he penned Genesis through Deuteronomy. So you you see this idea of the word of the Lord coming from these prophets. But Peter's telling us that these prophecies didn't come about from just their own will. It wasn't just men writing what they wanted to write, but that behind all of this, you have the Holy Spirit who is carrying them along. And so in, in that regard, you have many different men writing many different books, but yet the same Holy Spirit inspiring all of these, the same God behind all of these. So another passage that we can look at, 2 Timothy 3.16. And these are popular passages you know, talking about Scripture, but it's always good to know why we believe what we believe. 
So 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And by the way, I'm reading all of these out of uh, the ESV, so just for copyright purposes. But uh, So all scripture is breathed out by God. And so it is God-breathed. It's, he is... And, and and this is a particular word that Paul uh, really almost like made up. It's uh, that theonustos is, is God breathed. He is breathing this word out, and that's that's where we get this idea of inspiration. You know, if if we think about word roots and families and whatnot, uh, we think about respiration, our respiratory system. It's it's our breathing system. Inspiration. We're saying that these very words are being breathed out by God. They are spoken by God himself. And so Paul here is saying that all scripture, everything that is considered scripture is inspired. It is breathed out by God. And therefore you have all these implications that it's it's authoritative and it is profitable for all of these different uses that he listed here. And so while we have this big book, made of, you know, sometimes people refer to the Bible as being a library because it has many different books, but yet it all has this one author because it's all breathed out by the same God. So all of scripture is from the mouth of God, which makes it one book with one author, but many men were used to write it, which makes it many books with many authors. And so how do we, how do we kind of explain that? Or, or what is that connected to? How does, how does that exactly work? And so we're going to we're going to look at another idea, something that might help us understand this a little bit better and something that tends to be pretty controversial, but I think it's interesting that our idea of scripture is connected to this idea that is also controversial and we'll look into that. So we're going to look at God's sovereignty and man's freedom. So I know if you're listening to this you're probably like, well, he's about to open up a can of worms with this. But this this idea of God's sovereignty and man man's freedom, uh, a lot of times we just go straight to salvation and and discussions about election and and things like that. But in reality, this it it plays out in a lot of theological areas and and especially when whenever we look at scripture and look at inspiration. So I want us to I'm going to give you verses. I'm not going to go into a huge argument for or against God's sovereignty or for and against man's ability to to choose and to act and to have a will and all of these things because the Bible sets it pretty clear uh, of what God's sovereignty looks like and it's pretty clear about man's responsibility to do the right thing, make the right choices. So I'm just going to lay some scripture out just to set a groundwork so that we can use that to look at how we view inspiration. So the first passage I want to look at is in Isaiah. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 46, Isaiah 46, verses 10 through 11. So in in these verses, it reads this way. It says, declaring, speaking about God, uh, you know, the the verse before, if you go back to verse nine, it says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish accomplish all my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. 
And so what we see from this passage is that God has a sovereign plan for history. History isn't a random string of events that just happen. It is it is literally God working his plan out over time to bring about his purposes for the earth and for man. And so we, we see that played out and we see that God declares the end. So he declares what the end is going to be from the beginning. He declares from ancient times things that have not yet happened. He's declared that they're going to take place and he's declared all of the means that that allow for that to take place. So he is he is sovereignly declaring all of these things and he says, my counsel shall stand. So what I declare is going to happen. It's not going to falter. It's not going to fall short, which is why you can trust in the promises that I give you because I am sovereignly in control working all of these things out for for your good. And so we see that verse and, and how it shows this comprehensive idea of God's sovereignty. Uh, another passage to look at, we're not going to read it because it's a longer passage, but if you would go to Isaiah chapter 10 and read that chapter, there's a, there's a large section in it where God is talking about Assyria and talking about uh, ordaining Assyria as a judgment on Israel. So God is God is bringing Assyria as a judgment on Israel, and he is using them to inflict his wrath on Israel for their disobedience. But all the while, Assyria is going into this thing with their own, with their own mindset and their own reasons for wanting to attack Israel. You know, they want to be, you know, this great nation that can just wipe out any other nation and accomplish these things by their own power and just show their own might. So they have a sinful reason for wanting to go in and attack Israel. But yet we see behind this that God has ordained them to do this. And so we see this balance of ideas that we've been talking about. We see God sovereignly planning and ordaining events to take place and man and even nations uh, walking in that ordained path, but yet doing so by their own will, that they want to do those things uh, you know, for their own reasons, for their own desires. And uh, the Lord is, is orchestrating this whole thing, and there's a way that he can sovereignly ordain it to happen without you know doing violence to the will of his creatures and i think that's something that we're not going to fully understand but we have to take scripture's word for it uh, a lot of times whenever we talk about subjects like this we tend to want to go one way or another we tend to uh, want to so emphasize human freedom that we make god impotent or we want to so emphasize god's sovereignty that we make uh, men robots and the bible doesn't show Either of those, you know, the Bible shows God being in complete control, ordaining the events of history, and it also shows men making decisions that are real, that are their own decisions. And so you can see that if you would go back and read Isaiah 10, and and the real kicker at the end of all this is that God then judges Assyria for the actions that he ordained. He ordained them for his own purposes as judgment against Israel, so his actions were just while Assyria, in doing those things that he ordained, was being sinful in the way that they wanted to do those things. So Assyria committed sin. God did not, even though God ordained that event to happen. Once again, mind-boggling, but Scripture lays that out, and it's something that we have to deal with. The next passage to look at, Proverbs 16.9. Proverbs 16.9. We, we actually have two verses in this chapter that I'd like to look at. And this, once again, balances these ideas. 
Uh, Proverbs 16.9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. And so once again, we see this idea that we make plans. We have real decisions that we make in life. Every one of us know that that each and every day we face choices. We, we face decisions that we have to make. We have to choose whether we want to obey God or disobey. We, ha- we have to make these choices and we make plans of what we're going to do in the future. But at the end of the day, the Lord is the one that establishes our steps. He's the one that establishes what actually happens. He's ordained what's going to happen, even even in our our making of plans. And what you know, we we can see this clearly whenever our plans don't pan out like we thought they would. Uh, but it but it all ends up working according to the Lord's plans. In that chapter, if you scroll down, I say scroll down. I'm in. I'm on my phone, so I'm scrolling. Uh, if you go to verse 33 of that chapter, it says the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And so this is a reference to uh, an, an Old Testament practice where uh, sometimes decisions were made by casting lots by, you know, almost almost like the idea of, of drawing straws. You know, we talk about, you know, if you draw the short straw, almost in that sort of way, or, or this casting the lot is supposed to be a, a random act. You're, you're just, you're casting a lot and whatever it falls on, that's the answer of the Lord. But it reflected the understanding in the minds of the people in the Old Testament that nothing is random because God is sovereign over all things. So even this, this lot that's cast Whatever it falls on, that's what the Lord desired for it to fall on, and so uh, we can think of examples of uh, the you know the high priest with the with the the stones that were in his breast uh, in his breastplate the the urim and thummim if I pronounce those right uh, I always get the the r's and the m's mixed up in there but you know th- those would be used to ask direction from the Lord and, and you know the Lord sovereignly ordained those those means to be used in Old Testament Israel. So I'm not, you know, telling you to make your decisions based on, you know, casting dice or uh or things like that. So, you know, don't take that the wrong way. But you know, God ordained those things as a means of him giving answer, yes or no answers to his people. And they understood that while it seemed like it's just, just this random act of probability of whether it landed for yes or no, they understood that God sovereignly controlled every single aspect and that that decision came from the Lord, and so once again we find that you know not a uh, you know not a single atom in creation, you know down to the smallest thing is is acting outside of the Lord's control. He is in control of it all. So bringing this all back, what does this have to do with Scripture? What does the balance of God's sovereignty and, and man's freedom, man's ability to act and to choose, you know, what does that have to do with Scripture? Well, it, it has to do with this, is that God ensures that his word is communicated exactly as he desires by his sovereignty. So so you might you might wonder, well, if if these men are writing are writing these books, then how do we know that we can trust it? How do we know that uh that we can use this and that it's authoritative if it's just the words of men? Well, we know that God sovereignly is acting and every every single bit of scripture that we have is inspired from his mouth and we can know that, that the words that are there are exactly what God wanted there because of his sovereignty, because he is controlling all things. He has ordained 
all things. So we can know by his providence, that's another word related to this, by his providence that he has preserved that scripture and that he has given that scripture in a way that it is preserved for us. So all of this happens while being written by men who are free and able to make a real decision to write. So if you think about Paul, Paul really was facing issues with churches where he needed to write letters to them, and he had his reasonings for writing those letters, but yet at the same time, God was guiding him by the Holy Spirit to write those things which he would encapsulate and and solidify as, as his word coming through Paul that would be written down and saved to be in the Bible, to be a part of that canon of Scripture uh, for the church to benefit from all throughout history. And we can really see this whenever you start to contemplate the different styles of different writers, Um, especially if you know Greek and Hebrew, you can really get into this, but even in the English you can still see this, is that you can see the individual personalities and style decisions of the writers, uh, of letters, of uh, historical works, all of these different things, you can see their individualness come out. So our theology of inspiration is a direct reflection of our balancing of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. So do we, do we see that connection? Do we see how the Bible is? Do we see how the Bible is a reflection of that? That God is sovereignly controlling all things, and man is also responsible for the decisions that he makes. And then we, we, when we look at Scripture, we see that God is sovereignly giving his word while allowing the freedom of individual people, of the, the men that he has chosen, to write these words down. And so there's a balance that we see there where God is sovereign, man is free, and we can see that in Scripture. So for the... For the uh, philosophy side of things, what are we what are we getting at as far as philosophy? Well, there's a problem that philosophers have faced for a long time with the one and the many. So, what are we talking about with that? Uh, philosophers would look out and they would try to describe and explain why the universe worked the way it did, and they would look out and they would see that there was so much diversity in the universe, so many things that were different. But yet there was also a unity among them that they functioned together and and served as a a whole. So there was a unity among the diversity that they could see. And so they had this problem of the one and the many. It's like, well, is is everything uh, many or is everything just one? Is there a lot of different things that make up the universe, or is it just one thing that makes up the universe? You know, how do and it was this whole back and forth thing that they had. But the great thing about Christianity—not that this was some, you know, new innovation—I mean, it's the the reason they, the reason philosophers had this problem was because they were studying the world that the God of Christianity made, and so it's, you know, no surprise that the God of Christianity is the answer to that problem. And so when we look at it, we see that the Trinity answers this question because we have one being, God, one, you know, one essence that that makes God who He is. And we have three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we have one being and three persons that all share that same being. And so in that, you have the one and the many. The one being and the many personalities or persons within that being. So you have 
that you have the answer to why creation can be so diverse and yet unified. And you find that answer within the Trinity that you have one God in three persons. And so that can be a whole confusing topic in itself. Maybe the Trinity would, Trinity would be something we could get into later. Uh, but as, as far as looking at this, I want us to recognize something in that we can connect this idea of the one and the many back to Scripture too, back to our understanding of the inspiration of Scripture. Scripture being revealed through the community of God's people over time to create one book, that also demonstrates the one and the many. So we see that in, in God's very nature, that God God lives in a community, so to speak, that God is one being, but there's three persons. And so there's a community among the Godhead that they have interactions with one another. And to, to try to explain that would just would just blow our minds. And I don't think that's another thing that we won't fully understand about God because it's so different from man. It's so different from us. But yet we still see that. We see that there's this one and this many and that they have this community with one another. And when God calls us to salvation, he calls us as individuals, as one. He he doesn't, you know, he doesn't group save. Uh, you know, you're you're not saved because of the faith of somebody else or from the repentance of somebody else. Ultimately, on judgment day, you'll have to answer for your sins uh, or or be forgiven on, on the basis of Christ for your sins. But there's we see in that that there's an individual who is saved, but they're not saved to be an individual. They are saved to be a part of the body of Christ. And so whenever God saves someone, he makes them a part of a community, a part of a community of believers that all come together to make up the one body of Christ. So we see that one and the many playing out in this. So in the same way, when we look at Scripture, we see that God has God has revealed His Word through the community of believers. You know, we don't have uh, pagans writing God's Word. We don't have people outside of the community of believers writing God's Word. God revealed His Word through those who were within his community, his community of believers. In the Old Testament, that looked like the people of Israel, the people who were a part of you know, his covenant people, this, this nation that he was working through. And in the New Testament, we see that it's people who have been, have been saved and brought into the, the, the true Israel, spiritual Israel, the church. You know, we see that these are the people that God revealed his word to. And so, once again, this is answering that question of the one and the many because God is revealing his word to his community of people, the many, in order to bring about this one book that's authoritative for that community. And so, once again, these, these questions that people have in philosophy can be answered by Scripture and that the very fabric and the very nature of how the world works is grounded in who God is and in the works that God has done. And so we can take all of that stuff back. And that just further solidifies you know, our, our trust that we already have that Scripture is God work, God's Word. Because even the way that Scripture came about is so different from, from other religions. Like if you, if you consider uh, Mormonism, for example, you know, the idea that you know, their, the Book of Mormon and, and the works that they have, that it was a, 
a direct revelation from a Unitarian, you know, just, just God the Father, no Trinity. God the Father just directly gave the exact revelation. So there's just almost like this full side, just he, he dictated it to Joseph Smith. And then Joseph Smith gave it to the people. So there's no community it's being revealed to. It's just being revealed to an individual by an individual, by direct uh, dictation, rather than by the balance of God's sovereignty and man's freedom in writing that. And so I I hope I'm not being confusing in all this, but everything that we've talked about so far, you know, all of it comes together. God's nature, our nature, the nature of salvation, uh, how the world works around us, all of that is, is tied into what Scripture looks like, um, how it was inspired. And so we can be confident in our theology and thinking about inspiration and how God has given us scripture because the way that that we believe um, the the way that we believe about scripture is rooted in God's nature itself it's rooted in the nature of of general revelation too we can see it in the way that the world is that there's there's one and that there's many there's a unity and a diversity and you know, this is no, once again no surprise that Scripture itself, in the way that it was given, also is a unity among a diversity. So, what's some practical application? How can we apply this to our lives? How can we read Scripture in a way that reflects this? Well, first, since there's one author, that means we can interpret Scripture with Scripture. So we don't have to fall into a a trap. Now, it's not, I don't. I don't know if "trap" is the best word. Uh, most of the time, people, you know, if you're reading the book of uh, a book about Paul, there's a lot of times where scholars get in a rut where it's like they can only interpret what Paul says based on other books that Paul has written. Now, that's a good practice. You know, if you read something in Romans and you don't quite understand, the best place to probably look is other of Paul's letters because. You know, Paul's going to interpret Paul pretty well. You can look at some of his other letters and help you out there. But just because Paul is the human author of those books, does you know, it's, it's almost like we're erasing the idea that God is the author behind the whole thing. And Paul knew that God was the author behind the whole thing. And Paul knew that he was a part of a community of believers who wrote the entirety of Scripture. You know, Paul is a part of a community that has been developing over time through history, through God's plan of redemption, and he knows the Old Testament scriptures. He's built his foundation on that. So whenever we read Paul and we find something that's confusing, we shouldn't just look at Paul's other letters. We should look at the entirety of scripture. We should look at everything that God has to say because he's the one author behind it all. So the principle that that most scholars would use, you know, looking at Paul and, and, all right, well, what are Paul's other writings to help explain? We use that same principle by saying God wrote Romans. So let's look at everything else God wrote in all of Scripture to help us understand what God is saying in the book of Romans. So we use Scripture to interpret Scripture, and that's going to be a principle that I use on this podcast. Another thing to consider is that since Scripture is, has been revealed through the body of Christ, for the body of Christ, it should be learned and studied as the body, not, not not necessarily just as individuals. And that's a trap that we get in, you know, as modern day believers is that we get stuck in the mindset that we have to 
uh, do all of our you know devotion time, uh, quiet time, whatever you want to word it, that, that all of our growing occurs as an individual by ourselves, whereas in Scripture, you, we grow as a community, we grow as the body, and so we should be with other people growing in our knowledge. That's part of the reason why we have this podcast. I'm, although I am sitting here as an individual, you know, saying stuff, there's the ability for you as a listener to respond back. You can leave comments, you can leave uh, messages, things like that to, to ask questions. And so we can respond back and forth and grow together as the body of Christ. And that's what you do Every Sunday, whenever you gather on the Lord's day, is that you are hearing the word taught to you. You are growing as a body of believers, and you can have those conversations and communications with one another. And so that should teach us that we should never seclude ourselves to be a lone wolf Christian, but that we should look outside of ourselves, that we should see that God has blessed other believers uh, sometimes with more specialized knowledge than us. Sometimes they just have studied something longer than we have, and they can have something good to say that can help us understand God's Word because God doesn't just work in the lives of individuals. He works as an entire body, which is made up of individuals. Once again, the idea of the one and the many and how God uses that to bring us together and to sanctify us by the truth. So I hope that this this topic today would you know help you think about God's word and how to study it and what it looks like and just to see that we have a strong foundation to stand on that that all of these doctrines are are interconnected God's you know God's sovereignty man's freedom the trinity uh the nature of the creation that God made and the inspiration of scripture all of these things can be connected so I hope that was helpful for you um until next time Thank you for listening. Uh, This has been Do You Have Scripture for That? Uh, This is Clay Garrison, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Mm